Ephesians chapter 5 this evening. We'll begin there and then we'll look at some other passages as we continue our study on on a healthy church. Ephesians chapter 5. It's tempting to measure health in a church based on statistics. We look at our church, we look at churches around us, and we determine whether they're healthy or not based on what types of, of stats we see, whether that be number of baptisms, church members, uh, the, the size of the crowd, the size of the budget, those sorts of things. But when you think about it, that kind of measurement is really the most nearsighted and actually probably most inaccurate type of way to measure the health of a church. For Christmas, our family uh, got for our children primarily the Nintendo Wii game system for the children, see? And uh, along with that, we bought the uh, the Wii Fit, which is a uh, a way in which you can measure your weight and your progress towards good health. And uh, they do they give you different aerobic and strength exercises to do. When I weighed in for the first time, my BMI indicated that I was overweight, bordering on obese, and um, said that I needed to lose several pounds, which is true. I do need to lose uh, 10 to 20 pounds, and so. Um, you know, it evaluates uh, health based on, on on your weight. But suppose that doctors and maybe this game system also decided to change their definition of health and they wanted to determine someone's health based on solely on the size of a person's body. Then my goal instead of to be to get to a certain weight range would be to get as heavy as I possibly could, right? And so I, I, I uh, eat as much as I want, I uh, don't work out at all, I don't uh, do any physical activity, get to have, try to make it as my goal to become the heaviest person alive. And uh, because, based on what the doctors would tell me, that is the, the way in which you can, deter, you can have good health, is by being as big as possible. And you know, sadly, that's the way we often measure health in, in the church, don't we? We look at the size of the church and we say that if it's a big church, it must be a healthy church. God must have poured His blessing upon that church. And so we look at churches like Northridge or Kensington Community Church, which each of these churches have about 10,000 members. And based on their size alone, should we conclude that they are healthy churches? Now, unfortunately, we can use this type of argument as an excuse not to grow, we use it as a cop-out, say, well, those churches are big and unhealthy, so we don't want to be like that, so we're just going to be complacent. But that's not what I'm suggesting at all. In fact, we should never slip toward apathy because someone else in a different level is not meeting up to God's expectations. That's not what I'm getting at at all. Instead, we need to figure out a valid way to measure health in a church. If it's not uh, accurate to be able to measure a health by size, then, then how do we do that? Now, three weeks ago, I said that the primary task of the church is not to, to make converts, but to, to make disciples. Jesus taught us that in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. The idea is that we ought to be growing Christians, that we, as a church, make it our primary task to see Christians grow. The end goal is to see 
believers conform to the image of Christ. And we'll see that here in this passage this evening. But what we find in that sort of task, that goal that we're reaching for, is, is that growth is not measured primarily by numbers. Growth is measured by spiritual by uh, spiritual aspects. And the hard thing about taking measurements spiritually is that it's difficult to see what's going on, right? The spiritual growth that takes place is often unseen and, and, and uh, hard for us to measure. And so we have to be able to figure out a way in which we can do that. For example, if your spouse were diagnosed or someone in your family were diagnosed with some type of internal medical problem, and your and her his or her doctor said, you know what, I have a guaranteed method to correct this problem. And the treatments come, the treatments are finished. The doctor assures you that that uh, change is happening. You can't necessarily look at your spouse or your family member and say, wow, you look much more healthy, much more healthy than you did before. Now sometimes that does show up in a way of the countenance of a person's face, in other words. But but a lot of times when you have internal health taking place, when you have internal progress going on, it's hard to see, isn't it? And, uh, and that's because much of the improvement that's going on in the body takes place invisibly and over time. So a church that is large is not is not necessarily honoring to God and is not necessarily spiritually sick. Okay, that's not that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that all large churches are spiritually sick and so we need to stay away from that sort of mindset. If you read Acts chapter 2, you see that 3,000 members were added to a church in one day. And that day after day they were people were coming to Christ and being baptized. And so that that church in Jerusalem could have been uh in in close to 10,000 people or more, who knows. But it is spiritually sick. Any church, whether it be large or small, is spiritually sick if that church is a place where God is questioned more than He is worshipped. If it's a place where the gospel is watered down to accommodate more people. If it's a place where sin is overlooked in an unhealthy way. If it's a place where membership and baptism and the Lord's Supper are all unimportant and even eliminated in some cases in order to uh, accommodate people and their desires. If that's the case, then those types of churches are not honoring to God and and will not grow spiritually. So the question that I want to present to us this evening is how do we measure spiritual growth? And how do we make sure that we as a church are growing if that's what we're supposed to be doing? Because isn't that our task? It is to be making sure that people in our church are growing. Matthew 28 Make disciples of all nations. Make disciples, people who are learning everything that I have commanded them, Jesus says. So if that's the goal where we're supposed to be going, there should be a way in which we can we can measure that growth. And that's where we want to drive tonight. Let me show you that this is the goal of the church in Ephesians chapter five, verses twenty five to twenty seven. Husbands Love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy 
and blameless. Now, I understand that the point of this passage is not to bring attention to the church primarily, but I do believe that it is a point that can be drawn out from the text. The primary point is that husbands ought to love their wives. Okay, And the question could come up, well, how ought husbands to love their wives? And Jesus or Paul says here that you ought to love the, your wife like Christ loves the church. And then he goes on to explain what Christ is doing for the church. And he talks about what, what Christ's ultimate goal is for it. Verse 26, "...so that He might sanctify her," that is the church, "...having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the Word." And then the final goal is that He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, um, spotless and without wrinkle." so that she would be holy and blameless. This is what Jesus is working towards. In the life of every true God-honoring church, He's working to present them one day before Himself as spotless, as blameless. And uh, so the first question that we need to ask is why ought ought we to grow? The need for discipleship. I talked about this last week, uh, but let me just review. And that is that, that there's an image restoration that's going on. We were made to grow. Matthew 28:18 verse 18 through 20 says that that we are to be uh, making disciples of all nations. Pastor Doran defines discipleship as leading sinners into a relationship with Christ that begins at salvation and culminates in Christ likeness. So leading sinners into a relationship with Christ that begins at the point of salvation and then leading them all the way to the point where they are Christ-like. And uh, obviously, uh, we will see shades of that, and hopefully we'll see shades of that sort of growth, but we ultimately won't see that Christ-likeness until the life to come. We are being restored into the image of God because that is the purpose that God has for all people. That is that they would know Him. We were made in God's image. We were made to bear His image. But then when we sinned, Genesis 3, that image was marred, and, and and although it wasn't lost, it was damaged. And so God has been working to restore that image into life of people. And the way that He does that is it begins in, in at the point of salvation. That image restoration begins at the point of salvation where He puts within uh, the person who believes a new heart, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And that, that image restoration begins. And then it continues on, not just at the point of salvation, but it continues on and is completed as a result of the Word. How does this process happen? How does this discipleship happen? If we're supposed to be about making disciples, if we're supposed to be about helping Christ to to present our church as spotless before before Himself, then how does this happen? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 couple back books back toward the front of your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The process of discipleship. Discipleship takes place as the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to change the people of God. Spirit uses the Word of God to change the people of God. Verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord 
the Spirit. We learn how this process of discipleship takes place from this verse. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that image, into the image of the Scriptures, from glory to glory. You see, we say that our goal is to become like Christ or be conformed to the image of Christ. Well, where is Christ more clearly presented to us or more clearly revealed to us? Is it not in the Word of God? It is, it is Christ revealed to us. That, that is what the Word of God is. And so our task really is to be conformed as much as we can to the Word of God. And that's why I began this second, the second essential in the life of a church, and that is instruction. Okay, we began with worship, that, that churches are fundamentally about worshiping God, bringing honor, honor to God. The second essential is instruction. We ought to be growing in God. We ought to be growing in Christ. And the first part of that instruction, I said last week, was expository preaching. That we ought to be receiving on a regular basis um, sections of Scripture explained for us, exposed. That's where the word expository comes from, or it has the same sort of root exposed for us. We want to see God and His Word revealed to us. The aspects of growth are that uh, that we grow in the knowledge of God. It, this, this discipleship happens within the context of the church. In fact, it is the very purpose of the church. The church is the agent of God's truth. In uh, 1 Timothy 3.15, we find that the church is the pillar and support of truth. That the church is kind of the gatekeeper, really, of God's Word. And so we need to be a part of regular spiritual growth within the context of a local church. And that's very important. We can't go out on an island, be away from other believers, and expect to grow spiritually. That's not the way that God designed for growth to happen. He, he designed for it to grow, to happen in groups. And so I said last week that we need to be growing in Christian virtues. And one of the ways that, that happens is as we are regularly exposed to the Scriptures, we start to see ourselves in it. We see the Scriptures as a mirror, and then we respond to it accordingly. So who participates in this process? Who Who is a part of this process where people are growing? I would suggest to you that it's not the pastor's job alone. Although the pastor does have specific commands in the Scriptures to preach the Word and to protect the flock. But I would suggest that discipleship really is an every member ministry. Discipleship, seeing other people grow, is an every member ministry. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Because I want to show you this from the text of God's Word that, that this discipleship is not something that we should be passive about or expect somebody else to take it. Well, that's, that's their responsibility. We'll let them take care of it. It actually is something that we all should be uh, concerned about and participating in. In order to get the context, we need to begin in verse 14. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. And the verse that we want to focus on is verse 16. So let's begin with verse 14. As a result... We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. 
But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So how does spiritual growth happen? What is the cause of spiritual growth? Well, ultimately we have to say that who is responsible for spiritual growth? It's God, right? We can't take credit for spiritual growth. But notice what verse 16 says. The second part says, According to the proper work, working of each individual part causes the growth of the body. So, so Christ, at the end of verse 15, causes the growth. But how does it happen? Verse 16, the first part says, It's as the whole body, as every joint is supplying, as every part is participating in their in their aspect of ministry. That's how growth happens. So that means that discipleship happens as believers are helping believers to grow in the knowledge and the character of God as they encounter the Word of God. So we as a group come together and we we have as our desire to see everyone else grow, including ourselves. And as we encounter the Word of God together, we, we exalt it as the most important thing in our lives and we make sure that other people are following along with us. That, that everyone is participating in this discipleship that God is doing. But we have to recognize that there is a, a patience that is necessary with discipleship. That we have to be patient with this process. We sometimes wish that churches would grow faster and if we had it on our agenda, this is the time frame that we would see it grow. But the patience of discipleship is seen in the fact that, that we simply that we are not God. We, we can't ultimately determine when this growth will happen. Um, and so what this does is when we, when we have to wait, is it teaches us to depend upon God. It teaches us to be patient with God, and, and it also teaches us to reevaluate our priorities, to reevaluate what's most important. We often think that, that we know what we need for spiritual growth. We know what sorts of programs we need. We know what's necessary to get in more people and to see more people grow. But what God is working on, I think, when, when we have these periods of waiting, when it comes to spiritual growth, I think uh, what God is doing is He's showing that ultimately He is the one that causes the growth and we need to depend on Him. And we shouldn't question Him when it comes to the timing of that growth. It would be like telling uh, us, telling a world-renowned chef that his, his meal need a little bit more basil. Or for a toddler to go to say to his parent, you know, if, if you wanted to make my my meal's more well-rounded, you give me less chicken because I actually have a little bit too much chicken in my diet. I mean, who is a toddler to say to his parent what a well-rounded diet is? And so, in the same way, who are we to question God for this growth or this lack of it? And that's why it's so important that we go back to His Word. Okay, We, we trust in Him. We find out, okay, what is it? That's why I say it helps us to reevaluate our priorities. Are we doing what the Scriptures say we need to be doing when it comes to spiritual growth? Or 
are we just kind of following with the crowd? So following with the other churches or church models that work? We'll, we'll just make church like those churches that seem to be growing spiritually. And if we do that, there has to be growth. Well, God is saying, listen, you need to go back to the Scriptures and depend upon Me. Find out what I want. Okay, Those things may be working from your perspective, but you need to find out what the Scriptures say for yourself. And, and I think as a church, it's very important that we do that. And that's why it's so important that we work our way through the Scriptures both as a church and individually. Uh, that's why we uh, make it a priority to to study the Scriptures when we're together. That's why we make it a priority for individuals to be reading through the Bible on their own. We want to make sure that we have all the spiritual food groups, that we are getting all of what God had intended for us. And the benefit of that is that if the whole church is a part of this spiritual growth, if the whole church is seeing the necessity for discipleship, then a church is not dependent upon one person. The church is not dependent on a pastor. So if a pastor dies or goes on vacation or something, that the church can still exist, can it? Because it's built on the foundation not of that pastor and his ideas, but it's built on the foundation of the Word of God. And in that way, someone else can step up seamlessly and preach the Word and help believers to grow in that way. The source of growth and the basis for growth is not the pastor, but it is, uh, but it is the uh, the word of God. Pastor is simply a conduit, a tool that God uses, hopefully, to cause growth to happen. Now we come to the test of discipleship: how we can tell if growth is happening, okay? Or how do we make sure that we're we're growing spiritually? How can we tell if growth? It's happening. As I said earlier, it's difficult for us to measure growth. It's hard, uh, especially for someone like me. I, I love numbers, and I, I would love to just be able to put on a spreadsheet our progress as a church. But it's hard to do that if, we, if I, as I already said, that, that statistics are not a valid way to determine growth. So how do we do that? Jonathan Edwards suggested that true spiritual growth was not measured by mere excitement or increased use of religious language or even the knowledge of Scripture, the knowledge of facts, not even, he says, in zeal. Rather, Edwards said the most visible sign of true spiritual growth is an, is an increased holiness rooted in Christian self-denial. Turn to Second Peter. I think this is the text that he he draws this principle from, Second Peter chapter one. Edward says, if you want to see you want to see the most visible sign for real spiritual growth, then what you need to see in your church, in your life, is increased holiness marked by Christian self denial. Second Peter chapter one, verses five through eleven. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, 
they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. How is it that spiritual growth is visibly seen? It is visibly seen when we are able to look at believers and see marked improvements in holiness, in being more and more separate, in growing in the Christian virtues, the fruit of the Spirit. And that's why verse 5 says that you add to your faith. You add to, to, to this diligence and to your faith supply moral excellence. And, and he goes on and he says, as long as these are yours and are increasing, then, then there is real growth going on there. The most visible sign, Edward says, of true spiritual growth is an increased holiness rooted in Christian self-denial. You see, if unholy behavior is left unchecked in our church and in our lives personally, then other believers around us will become confused about what God demands. And they will be unclear about what life in Christ is really supposed to be like. And that's why we have to be continually evaluating ourselves and others to make sure that we are growing in holiness, that we are matching up to the Scriptures. We can't just sit back complacently and say, well, you know, we're saved. Let's enjoy the ride the rest of the way on to heaven. Real believers, real, genuine, uh, God-honoring churches are ones that grow. And they grow in this aspect most clearly seen in holiness. Mark Dever gives several ways in which growth in godliness might be seen in our church over time. And I'll just read uh, several of them for you. He says, People from our church are being called to the mission field. Older members are gaining a French, uh, a French, a fresh sense of their responsibility to evangelize. They decide that they need to invite neighbors or friends over for dinner in order to develop a relationship with them. Younger members are making a choice to spend more time with older members, perhaps uh, uh, more concerned about their spiritual well-being and learning from them. Other signs of, of growth in a church is, is that a church is increasing in prayer and prayers become more God-centered. In other words, instead of prayers being more, I want, I want, I want, better health, better, better job, better money, more money, green lights on the way to work, those sorts of things. Instead, our, our prayers are becoming more God-centered. I want to be honored, God. I want you to be honored in this trial. I want you to be pleased in my neighborhood as the way that, that I represent you. I want my children to see the glory of God for themselves. You see, our, our prayers are becoming more God-centered. He lists some more. He says uh, some more evidences of uh, real spiritual church growth. He says more people are sharing the gospel within their circle of influence. We're not satisfied to uh, just firebomb people with tracks although that's not the worst way to do evangelism. It's certainly not the best. The best way is to, by, to develop relationships with people and, and make sure that we are uh, showing our concern for them and their, their spiritual well-being and their spiritual destiny. 
but more people are sharing the gospel within their circle of influence. Next, he says that informal gatherings among church members are taking place, which are characterized by spiritual conversation. You see within the church increased in sacrificial giving. You know, honey, God has given us so much, and couldn't we give an extra this amount of dollars to the church each week? There's an increased progress in the fruit of the Spirit. People are recognizing more that they need to be possessing these qualities like we just read about and increasing in them. A lack of or a shying away from complacency. Another sign of spiritual growth is that members are making career choices based on their commitment to the local church. In other words, turning down a job offer because they recognize that the most important thing in life is not the lifestyle that they have or the job that they have, but really the church that they're involved in because that is at the center of what God is doing. Husbands are leading their wives more sacrificially. Wives are increasingly submitting to their husbands. Parents are disciplining their children in faith. They're saying, you know, children, what what would be a good way for us to reach out to our neighborhood? What would be a way in which we can honor God more within our own family and the, the circle of influence that we have? Another uh, sign of, of spiritual growth is that there's a church-wide des- desire to see an unrepentant sinner restored to fellowship. That we have a great desire to to go after the stray ones the stray sheep, people who have wandered away from the fold. We, want, we have an increased desire to see them come back. And a church-wide desire to see an unrepentant sinner removed after rejecting an opportunity for repentance. All of these are marks of true holiness and desires to see God honored as the Scriptures reveal. You see, the way that this growth happens is not by us forcing people to grow. The way that real growth happens is when the Spirit is the one that changes the believer through the Word as as that person and as we as as the congregation come underneath the submission of the Word of God. See, when people are not learning the Word, when they're not loving the Word, and when they're not living the Word, it ought to bother us. It ought to bother us that that people can become complacent around the Word of God and, and and hold the sin that God despises as as mundane. As you know what, it's okay. God's forgiving. He'll just bring everybody in. It's okay. It's like a big fluffy grandfather up there. If the unrepentant sin of other people is not repulsive to us, then perhaps we really don't want to grow. We may want more people, we may want a bigger budget. We may want more programs. We may want uh, a lot of other things that other churches have, but but real spiritual growth is not that important to us when we minimize sin, when we minimize unrepentant sin. You, we'll talk later about the fact that we need to, we, there is a sense in which we need to overlook sin. We need to be forgiving of other people. We can't nitpick every single sin. They're sinners just like we are. But if it's unrepentant, that's why I've made the, the point to say unrepentant sin. That's, that is... Um, poisonous to the church. If we're willing to overlook that sort of thing because, hey, we just want to all get along, then there's a problem. And really what we don't what we want is not spiritual growth. What we want is comfort. 
And so, as we read earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, we need to speak the truth in love so that together we are growing up in all aspects of the faith, all aspects into Christ who is the head of the body. So when it comes to instruction, and this specifically this area of discipleship, we need to have the right goal. The right goal is not to grow the, the size of our crowd. Okay, that, that, that may come. That, that may be a good thing. But the ultimate thing that we're, we're working towards is to see members grow spiritually. As people reflect on the Word, they're starting to see it and see themselves in it and want to be changed. And allow the Spirit to do that sort of work within each one of us. We need the right goal. And we also need the right strategy. The right strategy is to be patient and to work hard to promote spiritual growth. We can't expect it to happen overnight. We need to think marathon, not sprint. Okay, We've got to hurry up and, and get all these people grown. And we want to see them mature spiritually. But that's not the way it happens. If you, if you think about it in your own spiritual life, how did real, genuine growth happen? There are probably times in your life, if you're like me, where you wanted it to happen. You were ready to do away with all these sins and, and this former way of life, but it, it just took time, didn't it? You wanted to wake up the next day and say, I'm done with it. I'm done with that former way of life. Now I'm mature. But it doesn't happen that way, does it? Just like a child doesn't go from, from being small and petite to, to, to tall and, and full grown. It doesn't happen that way. It takes place over a lifetime. And that's the way that spiritual growth happens as well. And so that's why I say we need to be patient, but we also need to be not complacent. God's not going to zap us into maturity, but He certainly is going to slowly work in us to change elements within our thinking and within the way that we act. And if we're serious about and ready for change, then then uh, we can expect that God will work if we commit to this right goal and this right strategy to get to that goal. We need to work hard to promote discipleship and growth in our church. So that means that we all need to have eyes that are looking around. See, what is it that we need in our church? What is this person? Let's make it even a little bit uh, more specific. What does this person need in order to grow spiritually? What kind of encouragement does this person need today in order for them to grow spiritually? Maybe they're going through a trial where they're starting to doubt God and His existence. I need to come along this believer and show them from the Scriptures that God is real. And God will come in judgment if they reject Him. What about this person over here who's who's starting to blame God for some of their circumstances. What can I do today? How can we cultivate it ourselves? I look at it a lot like cultivating a garden. We can't force the plants to come up. Okay, We see the little sprout come up and we start to pull. Come on. and Let me get this thing to bud and bloom. That's not the way growth happens. We, our part, is to do what? Our part is to make sure that it's getting as much sun as possible, the proper amount of water, okay, that, 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 that the weeds are, are, are being taken away, that, that the animals are, are kept out. That's our job when we cultivate growth. Now, we can suppress growth for sure. We can take the potted plant, for example, and put it in our basement, 
never water it, and we can expect that that, that plant won't grow. We can't force growth, but we can cultivate it. Okay, we can we can till the ground. We can make sure that all the things are right in order for it to grow. And then at the end of the day, the end of the summer, we can say, when that plant has come up, come up, we put a lot of work into that, didn't we? But we can't ultimately take the credit for it, can we? That's God who caused that to grow. All we did was we worked through the means that He gave us. Okay. Tilling the ground, giving it water, make sure that, making sure it has enough sunlight, protecting it from the dangers around it. We can't force anything to grow. We can't speed up the process. We simply have to do what God has commanded us and then be patient with God to, to do His job, and that is to cause the growth to happen. Do you want to see real spiritual growth in your own life? Do you want to see it in our church? I would suggest to you that it starts with, with spiritual growth in your own life. That you personally need to be consistently allowing the Word of God to shower you with its truth. To be able to be changed by it personally. And then starting to look out on, on people around you and, and recognizing where spiritual growth needs to happen. That's the job of every single person in this room to see spiritual growth happen. And we all can, can help to cultivate that growth by looking around, seeing where sin needs to be addressed, seeing where sin needs to be forgiven, uh, seeing where encouragement needs to take place, seeing where the Scriptures need to be more clearly stated to this person or to this group of people. We help out in whatever way we can so that we can see God have the glory. Our ultimate goal is to bring God the glory and not... And I believe that the primary way in, in which the church brings God's, God glory is that it, it makes disciples, that people are growing in the knowledge of God and in, in love for Him and His truth. And the essentials of, of a healthy church begin with hearts that love God and are overflowing with love for Him. And that's the aspect of worship. And the second one that we've looked at the last two weeks is this aspect of instruction, that we're growing in the truth of God. And the last two are fellowship and evangelism, that as a part of our ministry, there needs to be fellowship. We can't just go out to our separate places and then expect to come together without any sorts of uh, close relationships and expect to grow. There needs to be fellowship. There needs to be a realness between us. And then evangelism will be the last one that we look at. But for the next three weeks, I do want to address the, the, this next essential, and that is fellowship. And that includes both learning how to love people that are unlovely and learning how to forgive people when they've done wrong, when they've sinned, even against you. So if we want to see spiritual growth, I think the main thing that we want to uh, cultivate in our church and in our personal lives is an increased holiness, an increased desire to be set apart to God and His Word and His purposes. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, we admit that we don't understand exactly how this growth happens. We don't understand how the growth in a plant happens, how all the molecules come together and and uh, increase in size. And within the the context of the church, it's difficult to 
to know the exact uh, organisms that are being changed and the exact elements that need to be changed in order for us church to be vital and healthy. But we do know that you have a plan set out for us and that your ultimate goal for us is that we are presented before you as spotless, as blameless on the day of Jesus Christ. And we want to make that our goal as well. And we want to have the right strategy as well. We want to be increasing in the knowledge of you and your word. We want to be increasing in our love for our Savior and in uh, truth being honored in each of us growing in Christian virtues. And uh, Lord, we pray that you'd help us not to be swayed by the church models that are out there that are set up as supreme because they are able to draw in more people and they're able to have uh, exciting uh, sorts of ministries that that may not be honoring to you in many cases because their primary goal is not to grow spiritually, but it is to, uh, to, to build a crowd. And if that were our job, then, then perhaps those may be good models, but our ultimate goal is not to build a crowd, but to build Christ's church. And so we pray that you would help us to think about these things rightly, to think about each, each one of us, how we can uh, cultivate growth in our own lives and in the lives around us. May it, uh, we never use as an excuse that because we are small, then we are healthy, and so therefore we don't have to worry about these things. Um, we don't have to worry about getting proud about our accomplishments because we are small in number. Help us never to become complacent or apathetic about uh, our own church's spiritual growth. And may we trust in you when things don't seem to make sense. May we trust in you when, when things are going well. And may you be honored in our motives. And may you be honored in our own desire to grow in holiness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.